Section 11 of the Junior Classics Volume 9 Stories of Today This is a LibriVox recording All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Recording by Surbhi Anand Section 11 The Second String by James B Connolly The Interscholastic Athletic Association was holding its annual track meeting In the athletic building a hundred lads or more were dressing or rubbing in preparation for the different events the clerk of the course sticking his head within the door shouted last call for the 100 yards final last call hurry now fellows the graduate coach of webster high school cut short his instructions to a medium sized heedful earnest looking lad there now I'll have to go and see how Prouty runs in the hundred. But bear in mind, Haskins, what you are to do when your race comes. Keswick is out to run the field of its feet, and if they follow him, he'll do it. You are to get the inside track. On the first run, get the pole. Mind, if you have to do forty yards in record time to do it, that will start a break in Keswick's plans. Then you make the pace with an eye all the way to Stevenson. Perhaps you will carry Sullivan off his feet too at the same time. That's not likely though. Anyway, carry Stevenson along, clear round to the home stretch, and make it so hot for Keswick on the way that he'll be done up at that point. Land Stevenson in the straight in good shape, and your work will be done. Drop out then if you want to, and I guess you'll want to drop. You are an R yet. When Stevenson comes from the rubbing mood, jolly him along a bit. He's apt to get um, nervous, you know. Got it all? I think so. Haskins lay back on his mat for rest and meditation. Pretty soon, Stevenson, a tall, rangy lad, came over from the other side of the room. He halted above Haskins and looked about as if seeking a place to lie. Haskins caught his glance. They are all in use, I guess, Stevie. Take this place. You'll want all the rest you can get for your race. You're not done. You've got to run too. Oh shucks! Me, second string. I'm only to make pace for you. Mister Ludwig just told me. Well, all right. Thanks. Think you can do it, right? I don't know. It'll be hard getting the pole from Keswick. He's in for the same game, making way for Sullivan. We'll have a great time of it, Keswick and I. I wonder which will flop first. But I'll make for that pole, though Keswick's a hound for a quick start, and try to hold on for the straight again. That will do, won't it? If I kill off Keswick so he won't be of any use, you can give all your attention to Sullivan. He's a good man, Sullivan. But you can give him yards and a licking any day in the week, Stevie. Think so, Dicky? Think? I know it. He hasn't your stride, your speed, or your head, and you are in great shape today, Mister Ludwig says. Beat him? You'll flag him. Oh, I wish I had your speed. I would make Sullivan and Keswick look like busted automobiles. I know just how I would do it too. But what's the use? I haven't the speed. 
I'm on the second string and lucky to be that. But I'll go through 300 yards of that quarter today for every little ounce in me. And I don't care if they carry me off afterwards. The little lad was cuddled up on the floor, back to a locker, knees up to his chin, bathrobe tucked in round him. His regard was all for his school champion. In common with most of the boys of the school, he had the deepest admiration for Stevenson's running power. Never before had such a quarter-miler come out of Webster, no, nor out of the state. All he needed was a little more growth and experience and a little more, well, confidence in himself and he would beat the world. So his schoolmates phrased it. Stevenson placidly accepted Haskins' devotion. He had been used to that sort of thing for some time now, and it did not fluster him. He did not even acknowledge the care with which his friend tucked in the wandering folds of his blanket, saying, It's drafty here, Stevie, and you want to keep your legs covered or you will stiffen up, mustn't stiffen up, you know. They waited for their time to come. Stevenson on the mat, Haskins snuggled up against the locker. The young athletes in the room kept going and coming. They would go out fresh and strong, some nervous, some confident, a few absolutely in fear, ready to draw back, only that shame forced them on. They came back tired, winded, used up, some of them jubilant, some depressed, a few crying. With each returning batch, some new details of the progress of things were shouted round the room. At last the coach Ludwig came back. Your quarter's coming soon, fellows. Looks like Scotia and Webster again. Sullivan's just run the 220. That will take the edge off him for the quarter mile. Stevenson, how do you feel? And you, Dickie, it will be up to you soon. Feel fit for the fastest 300 you ever ran in your life? Of course you do. I wish Dickie had the other speed, Ludwig whispered to MacArthur, high jumper and team captain. Hmm, Mr. Ludwig? Dickie's heart and Stevenson's legs, rather a lot for one package, wouldn't it be? The clerk of the course here made an entrance. Quarter mile comes last of the track events. Sullivan of Scotia wants to get rested from the 220 and judges agreed. All out for the long jump and hammer. Stevenson made a pettish face. I suppose Sullivan and the Scotians can have things cooked to their order and the rest of us take what we can get. I think you ought to protest, Mr. Ludwig. Ludwig shook his head. I can't change the order of events, Stevenson. Besides, it's only fair to give a man a rest after he's been through a hard 220. Take it easy, like Dickie there. Go to sleep if you can. Dickie, can't you find a mat to lie on? You have an hour to wait yet, and I don't like to have you hugging the floor like that. Oh, this is nice. Here's my suitcase for a pillow. I could go to sleep here. All things come to an end. The busy clerk of the course rushed in for the last time. Quarter mile now. Only one call. All out. Stevenson and Dickie promptly rose. Stevenson, anxious in manner, fussy. Dickie, serious, calm. Together, they walked across the field. MacArthur and Ludwig in attendance. 
every event had been finished except the pole vault, always a lengthy affair. The audience was in a fine state of expectancy. Just before reaching the track, Ludwig drew the boy's head together. Now, Stevenson, this meet depends on you. We win it if you capture the five points for first place in the quarter. We lose it if you don't. Dickie Hare is to be sacrificed for you. Keep your eye on Dickie. He will swing out and tell you when. And you, Dickie? Ludwig went on. Make a way for Stevenson and Balk Keswick. See that you have the pole on the last turn. Now go along. Oh, Dickie, a moment. Ludwig dropped his arm around the boy's neck. This is in confidence, Dickie. MacArthur and I are afraid that Stevenson isn't any too fond of his job today, that he doesn't quite fancy a tilt with Sullivan. What do you think? Stevenson afraid? Oh no, Mr. Ludwig. Stevie is nervous, that's natural. Why I am nervous for all you crack up my coolness. I am nervous as I can be, but I try not to show it. And Stevie lets his out. Stevie will win. Look at him up on his toes now. Style. He's won three quarters of the crowd already. Just the gate of him. Don't worry, Mr. Ludwig. Webster will win this quarter mile. Well, all right, Dickie. I hope you're right. Hope he's only nervous. Look out for him anyway. But don't try to do it too fast. Don't kill yourself. If you can, you might just as well finish. You don't know. Somebody might drop and you pick up a point. Not much of a chance for you, but... But Sullivan, Stevie and the rest of them might drop. Used up. Ha! That's good. Imagine me, a quarter-mile champion? It's too strange to think of. Strange things, Dickie. There, that's for you. In the line of starters, Dickie was second from the pole. Big Keswick was inside him, Stevenson outside, and Sullivan second outside Stevenson. Dickie at once made himself acquainted with Keswick's tactics. One or two false starts convinced him that Keswick's right elbow was intended from a prominent part in the contest. Dickie knew that Keswick expected to have it all his own way when it came to close quarters, but there was a way. Dickie had no notion of letting Keswick's cruel elbow rob him of the pole. There was always a way to deal with such tactics. Starters ready? Ready! Timers ready? 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 All ready! Get on your marks! Set! Steady! Come up! Man at the pole! Be careful! Now! On your marks! Get set! Bang! Dickie promptly caught the hook of Keswick's plunging right elbow in the angle of his own left. Keswick was spun half round and Dickie shot in. That for Kessie, muttered Dickie. The judges saw it, but it raised only a smile all round and an appreciative comment from one. That big fellow tried it that time, didn't he? An old trick of his, Ludwig says, but the little fellow was too clever. Dickie ran like mad for the turn. He caught it, with Stevenson outside him, a little back, and Keswick directly behind. All the runners turned the curve in fine style. It promised to be a hot race. The audience was already applauding vigorously.
Dickie motioned to Stevenson. I'll cut loose the whole length of the back stretch. Don't try to keep up. Let Keswick chase me if he cares to. Watch Sullivan and wait for the turn. That was not put in so many words, but had it been written out, Stevenson could not have read the motions more plainly. It was a rare pace that Dickie set. The bunch tore round the lower curve as if they were to run only 220 yards. This is going to be warm, said a group of old-timers under the willows. Look at that, yelled the crowd. Dickie had shot away from the others. Big Keswick was at his heels. Keswick's plans had been interfered with. He was there to take care of Haskins. But things had been changed. This was a scorcher. What did it mean? It was a beautiful sprint the whole length of the backstretch. Dickie was 10 yards, Keswick 8 yards in front, Stevenson and Sullivan were running stride for stride, the Webster man inside, a yard or two ahead of Sullivan. Swinging into the upper curve, Dickie signaled to Stevenson and then imperceptibly slowed up the pace. Keswick naturally trailed behind. Without understanding how it was brought about, he felt the relief and was well content to take it. Dickie knew Keswick was in no trim to interfere with what was so going to happen. Dickie felt Stevenson coming easily. Again he signalled, this time looking back to see that all was well. Stevenson moved up to Keswick's flank and nodded. The last turn was before them. Dickie suddenly darting forward, opened up several yards. Keswick was too surprised and too tired to understand at once. Stevenson strode past him and dropped into Dickie's tracks. Dickie on the corner swung wide and Stevenson slid inside. The pole and the lead were his. Sullivan had his choice of following Stevenson or running outside Dickie. He chose to follow Stevenson. To let him by, Keswick was compelled to pull up and lose his chance for a place. Dickie, seeing how Sullivan had chosen, promptly dropped back a yard to Sullivan's flank. That put Sullivan in a close pocket. It was all most prettily done. The grandstand got up on its toes to cheer it. The experts under the willows hurled big words of praise out to Dickie. After that manoeuvre, Dickie felt that he had no more strength left. It was an immense relief to him to think that the strain of his work was past and that Stevie was in a good way now to win the race. But he must give a final word of cheer to Stevie before he was left behind. Go in, Stevie, go in now. That's the boy. All right. You have got it singed. Go on. What's the matter? Dickie, looking up at his chum's face, saw an expression that made his heart sink. There was despair in Stevenson's eyes. Others saw and understood. From under the willows came encouraging cries to Sullivan. Go in, Scotia. You've got him. He's all in. He's a quitter anyway. And the little fellow's used up. Come out of that box, Sully, and win. Dickie heard this. Stevenson heard it too, and it did him no good. Sullivan heard also and acted on it. He walked out of the pocket to Dickie's side. Dickie looked at Sullivan, saw only a grim resolve there, and in despair appealed to Stevenson. Oh, Stevie, go in. Only half the stretch. You can do it. Go in. 
Stevenson made no answer, but to Dickie's dismay fell down as if exhausted on the grass. Dickie, without looking again, felt the courage of the Scotian beside him. There was no giving in there. The race was lost. But was it lost? He did what had never entered his head until that instant. The import of Ludwig's last words flashed on him. Had Stevenson really quit? He did not seem used up. And after everything had worked so nicely, what a shame for Webster. It was in the blindest kind of way that Dickie pegged on beside Sullivan, only for that work on the turn, and Sullivan would have been yards ahead. What a runner this Sullivan was. Dickie was marvelling that he held up with him. The audience was marvelling too. They were frantic, some for Sullivan, but most for Dickie, because he was so small and had borne his previous share so nobly. Their yells were deafening, but Dickie never heard them. He was taken up with a different thing, with the unbearable strains of the race. Every nerve in his body quivered under the rack of his effort. Every little molecule and atom was crying out with the torture of it. But would not Webster be disgraced if he did not win? He knew what they would all say. Could he make it? Still behind. What a hard fighter. This Sullivan. He would never underrate a Scotian again. One foot and twenty yards to go. Now then. No use. Oh, Dickie. Who called? All Webster was calling. Oh, Dickie. What a horrible thing. Hot, heavy iron in his loins, great lead weights on his feet and his chest. What an awful collapse in his chest. Would it hold out? And his knees? If they would but keep off the ground, he would win yet. A foot, still a foot. What an awful lot to make up. Half a foot. Was Sullivan going too? Ten yards even? Was it even? Was it worth this awful agony? Even one more, two more, another, and shh! It was the frenzied Ludwig who caught him as he fell. And it was Ludwig and MacArthur who bore him in a blanket across the field and laid him on two thicknesses of mat in the athletic building. It was these two and a doctor from among the officials who worked on him until he knew where he was. It was Ludwig on one side, sponging his face, and MacArthur on the other, drawing him off when he looked up with the first sign of intelligence. There you are, you little bronco. Changed your mind and came back to life, did you? Know what we have had a good mind to do to you? A little of this now? There, how's that? That's witch hazel we are rubbing on. Sniff it up. That's right. Fine, eh? Feel better than when you cross the tape, rather. Get up? Not for a while yet. Not till the carriage comes. Who won? Why, you, of course. I, I didn't know. I was almost afraid to ask. Afraid it was Sullivan. Last I remember, he was ahead. Couldn't see. Ahead? I should say he was ahead until a yard from the string. And then a miracle happened. Of course you couldn't see. Wonder you could breed after that finish. And setting the pace all the way round? Why your knees weren't six inches off the ground? You crossed on your hands and knees. Crossed. No, you never crossed. You fell over. And Sullivan fell alongside. Wait till Webster gets hold of you. 
poor Sullivan, wasn't he game? And we bet Squashia? Bet them, yes, and won the banner, champions again. Won the banner? That's good. And Richard L. Haskins won the quarter. That will look fine in the morning paper. Won't the people at home read that though? But Mr. Ludwig, uh, Stevie, how's Stevie? Stevenson's all right. No lie down, he's not here. He's gone to the stations to catch an early train home. Poor Stevie, I know, you don't want to tell me, whispered Dickie. Now, now, Dickie, I'll handle the sponge. Ludwig bent lower. Shh, there, there, let Mac pull the hood over and nobody will know. Go ahead, don't mind me and Mac, we understand. Ludwig plied the sponge and MacArthur the towel, and so deftly did they work that in all that room, no other knew that under the hood of the bathrobe, they were wiping away Dickie's tears of pity for Stevenson. End of section 11. Recording by Surbhi Anand.